Well, let's give it one big Easter. He is risen. So he is risen. A little louder. He is risen. Amen. Well, it's that frightful day. Uh, my son turned 16, and so you know what that means. He's going to start driving. So guard yourselves while you're out on the street. And when I turned 16, I started thinking, I want a Jeep. I really want to drive a Jeep. Uh, instead, I ended up driving a Honda Wagon van. Not the most manly of cars. Uh, it's, uh, uh, they only built it one year, 1986. It's a small kind of a petite car with a, a hatchback. And so uh, I was driving the Honda Wagon van for a little while and then uh, moved on to an 88 Accord. That was pretty sweet. And then, um, you know, I, but the whole time I'm dreaming, I want a Jeep. My brother gets a Jeep. And I'm thinking, I want his Jeep. And then just this year, a friend of mine, he buys a new car, and I say to him, could I buy your Jeep? And he says, yeah, you can. And he gives me the sweetest deals of deals. And so if you look out there when you walk out of worship this Sunday, you're going to see my Jeep. And I'm like, this thing is sweet. This isn't just like your normal Jeep, right? Uh, now, he had kind of tricked this thing out, and it's got the big manly knobby tires on it. They were too big for inspection. I thought that was pretty sweet. It doesn't stop there. It's got the metal bumper on the front. It's this kind of black metal bumper. It's mean looking. I'm like, yeah, I'm a man in this thing. It's got a winch on the front just in case I get stuck in all the off-roading I'm going to do. <laughs> this is like manly stuff. I kind of feel like a bit more of a man when I'm driving this. And that's why I'm so ashamed to tell you. That my favorite movie is Runaway Bride. <laughs> Julia Roberts, you know. And she's in that. And uh, Richard Gere, they fall in love. And she's already run away once, right, from, uh, from the altar. And so they call her the Runaway Bride. And then she's run away multiple times. And he's thinking, man, is she going to run away from me? And lo and behold, she does. She runs away. But then there's that great scene at the end. She finds out who she is. She's like, I like fried eggs. Not, you know, she knows who she is. And, and they embrace. And it's like, oh, I love that stuff. I'm a bit ashamed of it, though, if I'm being honest. Not proud of it. <laughs> and because it, it doesn't stop there. I like a lot of rom-coms. I like romantic comedies. And it's not just romantic comedies. I, like, I just like straight romantic movies. Like, <laughs> this is bad. The Notebook. I really like it. Anything by Nicholas Sparks, I really like. I know, it's too far. It's bad. It's real bad. You're like, he can't even be my pastor anymore. I'm ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it. And there's some stuff in our life that we're ashamed of, we're not proud of, that we can kind of laugh at, right? But then there's some stuff in our life we're not proud of that we hide. And it festers. It might even be shaping who you are today. You might be so deeply motivated by some of this stuff in your life that you're ashamed of, you're not proud of. And it's sucking the joy out of your life. As you run away from these things or try and not be that thing that you're marked by in your shame 
or your guilt. Uh, what is it for you? Is it something you've done in the past? Uh, maybe it's you look at your life and you say, man, I ought to be. I, I, I ought to be married by now. I ought to be further in my job by now. What are you not proud of? Chances are you're hiding it or making up for it. But it's certainly impacting your life. Uh, we're we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what does the resurrected Jesus do with the stuff we're not proud of? What does the resurrected Jesus do this, with the stuff that we are not proud of in our lives? And he does just what we don't want him to do. He does just what we do not want him to do. So let's get into it because we're going to look at Peter's life as a backdrop for what does the resurrected Jesus do with the stuff that we are not proud of in our life. And we need to know a little bit of the backdrop of Peter's life in order to get to this point to say, what does the resurrected Jesus do with the stuff that I'm not proud of? You know, uh, Jesus calls Peter to be one of his disciples back in chapter 1 of the book of John. That's where we'll be tracing some of Peter's life. And he calls him along, you know, he gets Andrew, his brother, and Andrew says to Peter, he says, Peter, come follow this guy, Jesus, he's amazing, he's this new teacher, you're going to love him. And, and when Peter meets Jesus, uh, actually Peter's name is Simon at the time, he meets him and Jesus says, I'm not going to call you Simon or Stone or Pebble anymore, I'm going to call you Peter, Stone, Rock. And Peter's like, I kind of like that. That's good. And he starts following Jesus. And then there's this time where uh, Jesus gathers his disciples around. And Peter's one of his closest friends at this point. And, and then there's these kind of highs and lows of Peter's life, right? Like, and Jesus is gathering his closest friends around. And he says to Peter, James, John, and the others, he says, who do people say that I am? You know, because people are talking now as Jesus is teaching. And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the one we're waiting for. And Jesus says, nailed it. You got it, right? And then Jesus goes on to talk about how he will be the Savior by dying for people's sins. And, and Peter says, you will never die, Jesus. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and where he has just uh, uh, commended him. Now he's going to chastise him. And he says, get behind me, Satan, right? Like highs and lows of life for Peter. The real stuff of life. Then there's this time Jesus is walking on water and, and there's a storm going on and Peter's in this boat and he says, man, that looks amazing. And, and he says to Jesus, can I come out on the water with you? And Jesus says, come on out. And, 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 and Peter is walking on water and, and then he starts to sink. He's losing faith and, and Jesus says, man, you have little faith. You just have faith. And he, he pulls him into the boat, right? Highs and lows, the stuff you're proud of and the stuff you're ashamed of. There's this time, uh, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Transfiguration. He's, he's shining brilliantly in his glory. Elijah's there, Moses is there, and, and it's an amazing moment. And Peter, James, and John are there, and Peter's like, this is so awesome. And Jesus is like, this is awesome. And Peter says, we should build tents here and stay forever. This is so cool. And Jesus is like, oh, my goodness. And the Father from heaven goes, this is my son, pointing to Jesus. Uh, listen to him, as if to say, Peter, shut your mouth and listen up to this guy. 
You know, on the timeline of our Facebook posts, all we would see is all the smiles, all the good stuff. But isn't it often the stuff we're ashamed of, we're not proud of, that most marks our minds, our hearts, our lives? It's not posted, but it's deep into who we are. Peter had some amazing highs and some terrible lows, but this was the doozy of them all. What he is most likely most ashamed of in his life before the resurrected Jesus deals with his shame. It's John chapter 13, and, and in this moment, it's Thursday of this past week, right? It's Thursday evening, and then the disciples have just had this meal together, and now they're heading out to the Mount of Olives. It's getting super late, almost midnight. And they're at the Mount of Olives, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples in this intimate moment, and it's kind of getting gloomy in the sense of Jesus saying, I, I'm going to head towards my death. And in verse 36 in chapter 13, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Uh, Peter writes one of the Gospels along with John Mark, and he adds a little more detail here. And, and he, he even writes in there uh, that Peter says emphatically, right to Jesus' face actually, uh, you think I'm going to fail, but I'm not going to fail. I'm going with you to your death. And he, even then he says, he looks around and he says, even though these, these other followers of yours might fail you, I will not. He says it confidently. Uh, but then we turn, it's, it's now... Past midnight, it's Friday morning, it's early, early in the morning in John chapter 18, verses 12 and following, John chapter 18. Jesus has been arrested, verse 12, a band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bind him. They take him to Annas and Caiaphas and then later Pilate, they're, they're putting a, uh, together this sham trial. Though Jesus is not guilty, not a, a lick of guilt is found in him. They're about to crucify him. And Peter and John and a few women are following behind. Verse 15 of chapter 18 in John. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, this is John speaking of himself, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Denial number one. Now the servants and the officers, they made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. It's really interesting. John's kind of making a big deal about this charcoal fire. They're, they're all warming themselves. I've always thought charcoal is better than gas when you're grilling. Like the smell is so good and it makes the meat taste so nice. 
Uh, and here John's saying, man, there's this charcoal fire going and everybody's standing and warming themselves. He, he says it again down in verse 25 when we pick up with the story again. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, right? right? This charcoal fire, so they said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, number two, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, like he, he knows that's the guy who cut my relative's ear off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again three denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72, Peter's going to add a few more details. At this moment, Peter... After his third denial of his close friend Jesus, this moment he's not so proud of, this moment of his shame, Peter says he wept bitterly. He must have felt a pit in his stomach as John and the women go to the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 25, we see standing by the cross where Jesus, Peter's good friend and the Savior of the world, is hanging. There's his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus sees his mothers and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby. Who's not there? Peter. Hiding in his shame. What are you ashamed of? What are you not so proud of in your life? Uh, for many of us, we look back and it's something we have done. It's a relationship we wish didn't go the direction that it went. It's that thing we don't tell anybody. Just hoping maybe it'll take care of itself or go away. Maybe it's something that was done to us that, that we just keep under wraps. Maybe it's something that's going on today that we are hiding and no one knows. I think for a lot of us, though, it's that we are not living up to the people we think we ought to be actually know we ought to be. Uh, think of it, when, when you become a parent, right, like, uh, it just shines brightly. Oh my, I am not as good as I thought I was. Uh, but you think about your workplace. You're like, man, I don't work with everything I've got. And, and what I said to my coworker last week, gosh, I wish I had not said that. And it's not just that you said that or didn't say that or something you did or did not do. But, but, but then you, you step back and we realize, gosh, it's the kind of people we are that we don't want to be. That we're ashamed of. Well, what do we do with this? What, what do we do with those things in our past or things in our present? Or, or we ought to be this or that and we know we're not. What do we do? Here's what we typically do. We typically minimize it. Or try to make up for it. Uh, the way we minimize it is sometimes we'll rationalize it, right? Like, yeah, I did say that, but, you know, she said that to me. So, you know. 
Or the circumstance was so tough, I had to act like that. Like, I, I, didn't, I wish I hadn't. Uh, uh, but, but uh, no, he or she enticed me. That wasn't my fault. We rationalize it. Or how else do we minimize it? We, we hide it. We just push down the things we're not proud of, the things we're ashamed of. And, and we just keep them secret or hidden. As though they're not that big of a deal or won't crop their heads in certain ways in our life. Or what else do we do? We, we don't minimize it by hiding it or rationalizing it or comparing it to other people's problems. But, but we make up for it. We say, man, if this is the kind of parent I realize I am, well, dang it, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. If this is something I did back in my past and I know Jesus is not happy with me, I know people would shame me if they knew, then I'm going to be better. I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to be holier. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more tolerant. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be better. That's what we typically do with the things we're not so proud of. See, some of the most skilled, most achieved most joyless people, CEOs, <laughs> down to the lowest workers, are running from something in their life. A shame, an insecurity, a suffering, something they're not proud of. And it's a strong motivator, but it's a joy-sucking, joyless motivator. It's not life the way we were meant to have it. So what does Jesus do with the things we're not so proud of? What does Jesus do with our shame? Because that's what these things often turn into. It's not just something we've done, but it's who we are. Unlovable. Not good enough. Completely insecure. What does Jesus do, particularly the resurrected Jesus who's alive today? It's this great moment. It's one of my favorite passages, John chapter 21. And see, Peter knows. He didn't post it on his Facebook page, but he knows it's in there deep. The thing he's not proud of. The thing he's hiding. But Jesus is going to reveal who he is. Notice that first line in John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. He's going to show who he is. He's going to pull back the curtain and say, this is who your Savior is. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, they're all there, right? They're all there at the, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. They call it that because on the western shore is the town of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It's in the north. It's where Jesus hangs out with his friends all the time. Or he hangs out with Peter, James, John, and the rest of them. It's verse 4, and this day was breaking, right? It's the early morning, and Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5 of chapter 21 in John. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? It's this kind of affectionate term. He's like, he, he's moving towards them. Jesus is actually kind of inviting relationship here with those who think they ought not to have a relationship with this good, kind, holy God. Children, do you have any fish? He says to them, no, he said to them. And well, then cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And, and they're all thinking, wait, wait, wait a second. 
This has happened before. <laughs> if you go back to Luke chapter 5 or the other beginnings of the Gospels, you see this is the exact same kind of way the disciples were called at first. They were out fishing. There's no fish to be caught. And Jesus is like, cast it over there. And they're like, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We're fishermen. This is what we do. This is actually what they've gone back now to do. Right? Their shame and their uh, sadness. And then looking at the dead Jesus, they think, man, it's over. Let's go fishing. But Jesus is going to do this hard reset, this, this mighty pivot in their lives. Uh, it's just going to change everything by his grace. So they cast the, uh, the net on that other side, and there are so many fish they cannot haul it in. And then John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, I don't, ever, I don't understand this part. All right? He's taking off his cloak, and he's like, it's time to go swimming. So he throws his cloak back on, and he's about 100 yards offshore. He dives into the water, and he swims his way to the Lord Jesus. They get on the shore. When they get out on the land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place. It's the only other time in the book of John that the charcoal fire is there. John had made this big deal about the charcoal fire. You know, smell, it's our strongest sense for memory. That charcoal sticking to Peter. That smell of shame. That moment he looked at that little servant girl and said three times over, I don't even know this guy. He's at a charcoal fire again. But this time the Lord is calling him. He says in verse 12, come and have breakfast. I want you, Jesus is saying. Come and eat with me. Now this is the third time, verse 14, that Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you imagine the first two times Peter's with Jesus, right? He's like, I hope he doesn't bring this up. I hope he doesn't talk about what I've done to him, what I've not done for him, how I'd abandon him. This is the third time, and Jesus is going to do just what Peter says. Oh, man, don't do that with my shame. Don't do that with my sin. Don't do that with my guilt. Jesus is going to do it right here. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, he uses his old name, <laughs> son of John, do you love me more than these? He takes his own language from uh, the book of Mark where, where, where Peter says, I love you. My, like, if these fail, these followers of yours, don't worry, Jesus, I'm with you. And Jesus says to him, do you really love me more than these? He's like, oh, man. Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, first time. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. One, two, three times. As if to say, where were you? One, two, three denials. 
Peter's greed. Jesus is pulling the covers off of his sin. He's saying, this is your shame. This is the thing you're not proud of. This is your guilt. Peter is greed because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. I think this is when it sinks in. You know everything. You know every bit of me. You know the stuff I didn't post. You know my shame. You know my guilt. And Lord, even in it, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to know. Go this, he said, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. I love it. Jesus says to Peter, look, man, you are kind of wandering and going your own way, but your whole life is going to be given to me now. He says, you know I know everything about you, your shame, your guilt, and here's what I say to you. Follow me. I want you. Come on to my team. I want you. You're going to be my vessel of grace to feed my sheep. I want you. I know all about you. You are fully known and fully embraced, the resurrected Jesus says. He reenacts the first calling. He does it around a charcoal fire. (laughs) He asks him three times. And then he says, come, I want you. This is what the resurrected Jesus does with our shame. This is what he does with the stuff we hide. This is what he does with those places in our life and maybe our whole life where we say, I ought to be better than I am. Jesus says, I know. I know all about it. Actually, I know all of the depth of your sin, your brokenness, your shame, your inability, your insufficiency. I know it more than you do. And then he says, and I love you still. And I love you still. David uh, writes this one psalm, Psalm 139. Uh, David is... One of the greatest kings of Israel, but his life is full of stuff you wouldn't post on Facebook. It is shameful. He murders one of his closest friends so that he can have his wife in an adulterous relationship. And David writes this in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. From afar. Can you imagine if everyone knew the things you think? <laughs> the things you think about them. And God says, I know. I mean, I know even what you think about me. I know what you think about the guy you're sitting right next to. I know what you think about your spouse. I know what you think about your enemy. I know what you think. You search out my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Oh, man, it ought to make us shudder. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I can't attain it. Where would I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed down in Sheol, you are there. No matter where I go, no matter what I try and hide, you know all about me. It would be terrifying if he weren't our Savior who runs towards us with such sufficient, overwhelming grace, love, and mercy. Fully known, fully embraced. When Paul is describing the love of our Savior, how our God moves towards us, here's what he writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He just sums it up like this. Uh, Let me back up a little bit even into verse 6. While you were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die sometimes for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. (sighs) Fully known. Fully embraced. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is the love of our Savior. This is what our Savior does with our shame, with our sin, with our guilt. He says, let's name it. Let's bring it out into the light. Let's take those skeletons in the closet that are bringing death to your life and let's shine light on them. He, he pulls off the covers. He, he shines a bright spotlight on our shame, on our insufficiency, in our insecurities. And he says, I love you. Come follow me. So here's what I want us to do, because we've all got these areas. If we're feeling them today in our parenting or in who we are as singles or friends or workers or co-workers, it's that stuff we're not so proud of. I, I, I want us to bring it before our God right now, because He is running towards us on this Resurrection Sunday with His grace and with His mercy. Well, let's close our eyes, and this kind of helps us when we talk to our God. I want you to talk to him about that piece of your life that you're not proud of. You might be feeling it or experiencing it now today in some sort of hidden sin or guilt. You might be trying to hide it or make up from it for something you did or or something you did not do in the past. You may still be, just feel ashamed of who you are. You never lived up to your dad's expectations or your mom's absence. Would you just name it before your Savior right now? I'm not good enough this or that. I feel shame over this or that. I am not proud of this or that. Just name it before him now.
And then like Peter, would you see the risen Christ running towards you right now? Arms open wide saying, come and eat. You are smelling the stickiness of that shame. But he wants you. He doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants you. And he says, come follow me. He embraces you in his arms. Could you hear him say, I know, I know that you don't live up to the kind of mom or the kind of dad you want. I know uh, you are uh, in, in your shame because of this or that action. I know you, you are sensing the loneliness of your suffering. I know and you are not alone. Can you hear him say it now? And now as Peter did, would you talk back to him and declare your love, your allegiance to him as your mighty risen Savior and your friend, the one who wants you to transform your whole life. That you would not run from something, but that you would spend your life running to someone, running to him, with him, following him by his mercy and grace. Father, we are so grateful for your son. He knows all about us. You know all about us. And it's not in spite of our sin that your son went to the cross. It's because of our sin he went. He he loves us that much. He wants to forgive us and embrace us. And Father, we are so thankful this Easter Sunday that he has risen and runs towards us to transform our lives by his grace and to walk with us into newness of life. With him we are risen to life by his grace, mercy, and strength. And we worship you today as your sons and daughters, purchased by the death of your son, embraced in the resurrection of your son. We worship you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We do it every week, and this week we take communion with a new focus in mind, because when Jesus says, my body is broken, my blood is spilled, he also says, and one day I'm going to drink it anew, afresh with you, when I return in the new kingdom of God. So let's take and eat. If you're trusting in Christ, if you've been embraced by his grace, would you take and eat in remembrance of what he's done? But, but if you have not trusted in Christ, if, if you're still figuring some of this out, Maybe this morning, would you embrace Christ? Would you in prayer spend this time not taking communion, but trusting and running to embracing your Savior? But if you've embraced Christ, would you take and eat and drink and remember, this is a God who fully knows me and fully embraces me and is walking with me in newness of life until he returns to make all things new. Let's take and eat and celebrate our risen Savior and Lord together. Let's take and eat.